Very familiar question that you've probably heard asked and been asked yourself or asked someone yourself is, what are you looking for? At this time of year, as you're doing your shopping, as you've been doing your shopping, you're walking around a department store or Walmart or Target, and you're looking for something, and a service associate might come by and say, may I help you find something? Do you know what you're looking for? If you go to the public library, you have a librarian so nice, ready to meet you there at the door and says, can I help you find something? What are you looking for? Maybe you're just walking around your own house with this bewildered expression on your face and your husband or your wife looks at you and says what are you looking for do do you even know what you're looking for I can tell you a number of times that we have asked my mother that question and what she was looking for was already in her hand Um, but it's just something that happens we ask the question what are you looking for I sometimes think that that needs to be a question on our heart when we approach church. When we come together to worship, we have to ask ourselves, what are we looking for? Why why are we gathering? Why do we put ourselves in, in community with one another? What are we hoping to get? What are we looking for? It's a question that's really not that far off from Matthew's gospel chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2 is a very familiar Christmas passage or Christmas time passage. It's a, it's a passage where we have um, some wise men, some magi, some kings. We're not exactly sure exactly what these men were, but as they come looking for Christ Jesus. And in Matthew's gospel chapter 2 in verse 1 it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw have seen his star rising, and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. So he assembled the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them where the Christ, the Messiah, was to be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah, because out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time that the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search carefully for the child. For when you find him, report back to me that I too can go and worship him. After hearing the king, they went on their way and there it was, the star as they had seen its rising. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overwhelmed with joy. And they entered the house, saw saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell to their knees to worship him. They opened their treasures and presented him with gifts, frankincense, gold, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their own country by another route. Let's pray together. Father, this is a question of seeking. We come together this Sunday, this particular Sunday, three days before we celebrate the birth of our Savior 
Three days before we gather with, with friends and family. Lord, many of our celebrations have already started over this weekend. Many of our gatherings and, and, and times together as a family have, have already taken place. But many are, many are still to come this week. And we'll be traveling and we'll be sharing gifts and we'll be giving. But Lord, all of it's because of what you gave to us. And we ask ourselves this question, what are we seeking? What are we trying to find? Lord, through your word, I pray that you would press upon our heart a desire to find you, to find Christ and to worship. Because, Lord, there's too much in the world that tries to pull us away where we can walk around looking, trying to find something and never settle on what we're truly seeking. Help us see you. And we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. What do you seek? Who do you seek? Can you imagine you're King Herod, you're in your kingdom, you're in your palace, and all of a sudden these men show up looking for a baby. What baby? Who do you seek? What are you looking for? I want to ask the question this morning as you're sitting here, as you're here in this congregation, as you're here in this church, as, as you've been invited by someone, as, as you have friends, if you have family, some of you are in town visiting, visiting family, some of you have been invited by friends, some of you will be going and going out from here. None of you came to see the suit, I'm sure. Who do you seek? What is it that has actually placed you here? Why is it? And as we walk through this passage together, we're, we're going we're to look at the, the characters. We're going to look at the people involved. And we're going to ask ourselves the question, who do I seek? Truly in my heart, what am I seeking? What am I trying to find? What am I trying to get out of this whole experience? Well, let's start with a little bit of history and background. Okay, Let's kind of catch up to where we are while we're in this position with, with these magi, with Herod, and everything that's going on. For centuries, God had been promising that he was going to send his deliverer. He promised all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 that there would be one, the seed of the woman, that would come and crush the head of the serpent, thus ending the reign of sin and the terror of damnation for all of us for all time. And he promised throughout the entire scripture that this Messiah would come, this Messiah would come. In Isaiah, he started bringing the picture a little more clearly, pointing to a, a, a virgin that would give birth, pointing to one who would be a wonderful counselor, a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. Even pointing to the city of Bethlehem as the scribes and Pharisees, scribes and chief priests pointed to King Herod out of this passage. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Oh, you, Bethlehem, you are not the least because out of you will come the ruler to shepherd my people. See, the people of Israel had been crying out and waiting for years. Crying out for this deliverer. Ezekiel chapter 10, the presence of God, the glory of the Lord departs the temple. It ascends and it's gone. And for 450 years, there was silence from heaven. Many of you have learned in history class about the Holocaust and uh, the, the terrible work of uh, Adolf Hitler towards the Jews that were living in, in, in Europe, in Germany. That's kind of the history of the Jews. 
That's kind of the history of, of this, this nation of people that nation after nation, king after king would use them and abuse them and, 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 and slaughter them and, 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 and push them around. And here we find in our, in our passage today that there is a king named Herod who is ruling in Jerusalem. So there's a couple of problems with Herod. Herod wasn't the rightful king. Herod was not the one that was supposed to be on the throne. It says if you knew the law of God, if you knew what God had said, it would always be one from the line of David. You were kind of born into this kingship. And even throughout all of the history of Israel and all of their ups and downs and all the times that they were, they were conquered and all the times that they were in exile, there was always in Jerusalem one of the line of David that was reigning as king until the Romans stepped in. See, the Romans stepped in to help out a group called the Maccabees. The Maccabees were trying to revolutionize uh, the city of Jerusalem and the people of Israel. And they were trying to, they, they, the, the Maccabean revolt came about. And in 63 BC, the Romans stepped in and said, you know what? We're going to put an end to this and we're going to take conquest of this land. And so they started ushering in Roman government. And for the Jews, it was just another cry. God, send your deliverer. You've been promising us, God. Yahweh, Lord God on high, you have been promising just like you sent someone to deliver us from Pharaoh back in Egypt. Send someone to deliver us now. Well, in 37 BC, there was a man who came to power. His name was Herod. Herod the Great. See, he wasn't a descendant of David. Herod the Great was elected by a Roman court in, AD, in B.C. 40 to take the throne. And in B.C. 37, he was installed as the king in Jerusalem. But really, he was just a puppet of the Roman government. He would try to please the people in Jerusalem in order to keep his territory quiet. But really, because he just wanted to get along with Caesar Augustus. He wanted to get along with all the kings and the rulers ahead of him. He was a people pleaser. He knew that he was not the rightful king in Jerusalem. And so we get into this passage of scripture and we have this birth of Christ that had been foretold even just, just a few months ahead of time when the angel Gabriel appeared not only to Mary but also to Joseph and said, this is who this child will be. And we know the Bethlehem story. We know that in the days uh, when Quirinius was governor, there was a census that was issued and every man to back, to their, back to their father's household. And since Joseph was of the line of David, they went to Bethlehem and there they were, they were turned away from a room in the inn because after all, they were out of hotel rooms. Everybody had to get back to town and they were a little late traveling. And the baby was born. And we know about the shepherds hearing from the angels. And we know all of the beauty of that nativity passage. And, and here we find that Jesus had been born. And there was a star that had risen. And men of the east came to Jerusalem. And they asked a question. Where is he? Where is the baby? See, the question that we ask is, who do you seek? Make no, make no mistake about it. 
The, the palace in Jerusalem was not open to everyone. You couldn't just walk in and start snooping around and opening closet doors and figuring out what's here and checking the pantry. And you couldn't just do that. So when these men come up with their, their, their parade, when they come in and they're arriving, you better believe the first question the guards are asking is, who do you seek? What is your business here? What's going on? And so they ask the question, where is the baby? Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? Well, let's check the cast. Let's see what's going on with this, the, the cast members of this drama that's unfolding right before us. Let's see what's being built here. And we start with none other than Herod himself. See, Herod was just living for the moment. He was the king in Jerusalem. And as we've already discussed, he wasn't the birthright king. He was the installed king. He was the puppet king. He was the one that was trying to maintain the peace. Now, the, the time period and, and, and everything we get from Matthew's gospel, chapter 2, we find that this is most likely Herod the Great. Herod the Great died in 4 BC. Yes, that's right. I'm suggesting to you that Jesus was born before the year zero. Okay? I'm suggesting that to you. I know that there will be some that say, well, it could have been, uh, there, were, there were three Herods that ruled. There was Herod the Great. Then there was his son, Herod Archelaus, who ruled from 4 BC when Herod the Great died all the way to 6 BC when his power was taken away from him by the Roman government. And then there was uh, Herod Antipas, the one who sentenced Christ Jesus to death. These were all paranoid Herods, okay? All of them had this paranoia because they knew that they were on borrowed time. I suggest to you Herod the Great because in Matthew's Gospel chapter 2, uh, when, when, the, when, when the angel appears back, to the, um, appears back to the Magi and says, go a different way home, he also goes back to Joseph and says, you need to take the baby to Egypt until I come and get you. And it was after the death of Herod that he came and got him. So we're looking at about 4 BC, somewhere around there that Jesus was born. But this was Herod the Great. This is one who was living for the moment. This is one that didn't want to, didn't want to create a stir. This is one that clearly knew that there was somebody whose throne he was sitting on that didn't want that person to show up. He's just living the dream for a little while, as long as he can. I mean, who would want to be a king, right? It, it, just, just ask yourself just for a second. Somebody says, you could be king for a day. Man, what would you do? What would you, man, I'd transfer all the royal funds to my bank account, you know? So that way, you know, if I'm king for a day, I'm going to last. If you're king for a day, what laws would you pass? How would you, man, here he is on borrowed time. He's king, living for the moment. Ignorant to the bigger picture that God's painting around him. So the problem with a king for the day is the king for the day rules a way that does not add any value to the life of the people around them. And that's where we find this passage. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived in Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star and it's rising. We've come to worship him. But when King Herod heard it, he was disturbed. We don't like it when people mess with our flow of life. We don't like it when we get the plan. We've got everything mapped out. This is how it's going to go. Oh, here we go. You're ready. It's Christmas time, right? 
You got people coming to your house. You've got your travel plans mapped out. Who, which grandma you're going to see first. And you can go from this grandma to that grandma. And you got to go see your parents. You got all this. But then what happens when somebody throws a wrench in your plans? We don't like that, do we? We want to make sure we get from point A to point B. Everybody unwraps their presents. Everybody's happy. And no family drama unfolds, right? Who's living for the family drama this week? Who's got their, their emergency stash of popcorn to go ahead and pop and sit back and just watch it as it goes, right? We don't want that. We want to live in this moment and we want to walk through this moment. We don't want things to disturb. And here's Herod ruling. He's been on this throne for over 30 years. And all of a sudden, there are three visitors that say, well, where's the new king? Where's the king that's been born? But as the king goes, so do his subjects. Look at Jerusalem. It says there in verse 4. In verse 3, it says, When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed in all of Jerusalem with him. See, we have Jerusalem, the city of the king. See, literally, Jew Jerusalem means the peace of God. Jehovah Shalom is the, the literal name for Jerusalem. This was the true city of God, the true king. But see, we have a false king that's on the throne right now, right? And as this king goes, so does his city. Because this city has become so dumbed down to political grandeur that they're not looking to the things of God. They're only looking for the pundit that's out there in front of them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like modern day America, no matter which side of the fence you're on, whether you ride a horse or a, a donkey or an elephant, it does not matter. We go for whatever party is going to promise us the best, right? We want the bigger, better deal. We want all of this. And so we go the way of our leaders. And maybe we get mad at our leaders. We don't like what they've put out there in front of us. So we look for another leader because we want to go the way of that leader and that leader's promises. And here's Jerusalem greatly disturbed because, uh-oh, Herod's given us some pretty good things and now Herod's a little disturbed, so let us be disturbed too. They failed, the city of Jerusalem failed to recognize who they truly were. I shudder to think of the number of the people of God. The people that claim the name of Christ Jesus who have failed to recognize who they truly are and they have been lulled to sleep by political promise, by political grandeur. And so they're in turmoil over what's going on with their politics just like Jerusalem was with their king. So that's why I asked the question, who do you seek? Because these people were looking to a false king that could not offer them the fullness of who they were. It says that Jerusalem was disturbed with him. That does not mean that there's not a place for politics in our life. There is a place for politics. There is a place for people that have influence. There is a place for us as believers, as followers of Christ, to exercise our voice as pertains to the way the world operates around us because of who we are in Christ. But it's because we see him who is the true king. We see him who was born for us to give us a new way of life to live that was different. Something that our government can't. Something that a Canadian government, a French government, a European government, an Asian government, an African government, a South American government never could because government was not designed to be our God. 
Say, Jerusalem, the city of the king, they're this great disturbed. But it goes one step beyond Jerusalem. Because Jerusalem's just the people, right? Jerusalem's just the people in the city. Surely the church folk got it right, didn't they? Surely the church folk were able to figure this whole who do you seek thing out. So he goes and he says that he assembled the chief priests and the scribes of the people and asked them, Where's this Messiah supposed to be born? See, now we have the chief priests and the scribes. We have the religiously astute. They've been to Bible study. They've memorized a scripture verse or two. They're supposed to know the promise of God. And notice with me, just for one second, that they do. Now, I understand, and and, and I want us to all make sure that we're looking at this in real time, That what we have here in these 12 verses is not a uh, 62 second event. You know, we can read this passage in just barely over a minute. This took longer than a minute to actually play out, okay? It's not like, okay, Jesus was born, there they are, what'd they say, what'd they say, and it's over. This is playing out probably over a few hours, maybe even a couple of days. But notice with me that there's no indication that the chief priests and the scribes, that they had to go anywhere and do any searching. He asked the question, where was the Christ to be born? And immediately they tell him, in Bethlehem. We know this. It's like they were on Jeopardy and they were the first one to buzz in for Alex. And they were able to get their answer. They're in this quiz bowl. It's almost like because they were so puffed up on themselves that they wanted to see which one of the scribes, which one of the priests could answer first. Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Bethlehem. Like brothers and sisters arguing over who gets to open the present first on Christmas Day. Me, king, look at me. Let me show you my Bible knowledge. Let me give you the right Jesus answer. Let me give you the right thing because that's what you ask. And so many of us as the religiously astute, we've been to Bible study, we've been to Sunday school, we've been sitting in churches and all these times that we have this knowledge up here. And they even were able to quote scripture. Well, it's in Bethlehem because you remember what Micah told us in you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah because out of you will come a ruler that will shepherd my people. Not everybody that can quote a Bible verse to you knows what they're talking about. Not everybody that can quote a Bible verse to you is worth listening to. You've got to know the source of the heart of what's going on behind them quoting that Bible verse to you. These people just spoke because they spent time just looking at it, not because they've applied it to their heart. I love the way um, Alexander McLaren said this uh, 130 years ago, by the way. The scribes, again, are quite sure where the Messiah is is to be born, but they do not care to go and see if he is born. The strangers to whom the hope of Israel is new will rush away in their enthusiasm to Bethlehem. But those to whom it had, excuse me, but those who had lost all gloss and become commonplace would go through no such trouble. When I ask you the question, who do you seek? I'm asking you a simple question of, are you willing to go to Bethlehem stable to look for Christ yourself and not just rely on the Bible study, not just rely on the sermon, but actually go yourself and say, I am seeking him who was born. Because that brings us to the Magi. In this cast of characters, we come to the original, the original guys 
the ones that showed up. It says there that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the days of King Herod, wise men from the east, the magi, those that would actually go and seek the face of God. I love this passage. I love what it describes about the magi. See, here's the thing. We don't know how many there were. Traditionally, we'll say three, right? We'll say the three wise men. Uh, we'll say the three magi because there are three gifts. There's gold, frankincense, myrrh. There could, have been, there could have been two guys that just had a bunch of stuff with them. And there could have been 40 guys. Man, it could have been a whole parade. I mean, we, we just really do not know how many there were. But here's what we do know. These guys had some understanding of the world. They searched the stars. They, they, they were looking to the skies. They were trying to find something bigger. And they saw something different take place. And unlike the scribes and unlike Jerusalem and unlike Herod, they wanted to figure it out. They wanted to get the answer. So they said, you know what? This is unreal. This is unlike anything we've ever seen. There is a king. There is someone worthy of our worship that we have to find. And I ask you, who do you seek this morning? Because I'm asking you, do you realize who is out there for us to find and to worship? Do we realize that there is one that is greater? There is one that is bigger. There was one that was born for you and for me, for us to worship him. Notice the words he says, hey, why are you here? What's going on? He said, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star rising and we have come to worship. That is odd language. That is odd language. Because the Jews were a dominated people at this point. They were not reigning freely. They were not their own. They were under the control of the Romans. So why would some sort of person, why would a person with some sort of clout in another land want to come and worship a king who was going to be born under subjection anyway? Why would they say, you know what, we're going to travel a great distance. We're going to travel far across the desert, far across the wilderness to try to find this king that's not even going to be able to really rule for himself because the Romans have their, have their mark on this territory. I mean, think about that for just a second. They understood that if there was a massive star that was appearing, if there was a different star that was appearing, that there was something divine about this birth. There was something divine about this appearing. So they said, we're going to go and we're going to worship because we know this is not just a regular baby. We know that this is not just that this lady got pregnant and had a child and we're going to bring a baby shower gift to him. No, no. This is someone that needs all of our devotion, attention, and affection. This is who we seek. And Herod tells them, go find him. I, I'm, I'm not going to go myself. But you go find him. You tell me where he is. See, too many of us respond like Herod. Well, you just tell me what you know about Jesus and that'll be good. I, I, I can go from there. 
You, you, you go and you find him and tell me about your experience and let me hear about it. And I'll sing a song with you. Yeah, that's great. And, and, and maybe I could worship him too through your experience. But what Bethlehem asks us to do, what the Savior asks us to do, is to come into his presence and kneel down and bow before him. Because when the wise men get there, they see the child in the house. They see the mother. They see what's taking place. And their first response is to kneel before him and worship. They sought the face of God. Oh man, we can point to the wise men and we can point to Herod and say, well, you got it wrong and you got it wrong and you got it wrong, but the wise men, they got it right, right? The Magi, they got it right. What about your heart? It's easy for us to check the cast, but we got to check our heart in this as well. And what we find in this passage of scripture is that indifference to the promised Messiah remains a major threat to God's people. Indifference to the promised Messiah remains a major threat to God's people. This is why I ask, who do you seek? It brings us the question, why why are you here? Wise men, why are you here? I mean, obviously, the wise men going to the palace in Jerusalem, that was the logical place, right? If a king's been born, it's probably going to be at the palace. You're not going to go look for the king down at the, at, at the ministry house. You're not going to go look for the king at the homeless shelter. You're not going to go look for the king outside of the king's domain. You're going to go to where the king is to find out what his baby looks like because that's going to be the next king, right? Why are we here? In... in, in First Baptist Church of Fairburn Sanctuary on December the 22nd, 2019. Is it because it's Christmas week and you're supposed to go to church at Christmas? Ultimately, that is an indifference to who Christ Jesus was. Is it because your mom or dad made you come? Is it because you know, you're, you're in town? I mean, if, if you're here in town visiting family, but you normally are part of a church somewhere else, praise God. I'm thank you for that. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not preaching at you right now. I'm just asking you to ask your heart motivation. Because quite honestly, if you're here on vacation... And you're at church, you got to one-up on most of us because we go on vacation, we don't show up at church. I'll be honest with you, I'm guilty of that. Because the motivation of our heart ultimately comes down to an indifference of who this Messiah was. We don't come to him to worship, we come to him to get, right? We get salvation, we get eternal life, we get all this forgiveness. But we, we, we forget the, we gotta, we're here to worship him, we're here to give. See, these guys, they brought gifts, right? Look, we're, I'm not having any more babies, all right? All right, I'm just letting y'all know. I've got three. And I love them. Wouldn't trade them for anything. But three's it. If something should happen and you found out that we were having another baby, I would expect gold, frankincense, and myrrh. You hear me? I mean, ladies, come on. You're, you're at the hospital. You've just given birth. And here comes some dude with a bag of gold for you. Who's not going to welcome that guy, right? Then the hospital administrator comes in and says, yeah, we'll go ahead and take that to cover your hospital bill. (laughs) See, these guys came. Not indifferent. See, Herod was so self-concerned that he wasn't worried about a Messiah. The the people of Jerusalem, they were so inoculated by the political promise of this king that they forgot who the Messiah was to be. The scribes and the Pharisees, they operated under the same ignorance. 
See, Herod believes that Messiah is to be born in Bethlehem, but he determines to set himself against the carrying out of what he must, in some sense, believe to be God's purpose. If I'm not going to be the king, I'm going to kill the child. That's where we go, right? The angel comes and tells the, the, the wise men, the, or tells the magi, go home a different way. Comes to Joseph, says, take the child to, Jeru- to, to Egypt. Why? Because Herod says, we're going to kill all the kids that are two years and under. That's not very nice. That's not a Christmas message. It was out of this that our Savior came. And indifference to who he is as the promised Messiah glosses over what it means to be a person of God. And we can look at Herod and think, you know what? How cruel and vile and wicked. But it's perhaps not more insane than much of our own action. When we set ourselves against what we know to be God's will and, constant, and consciously seek to thwart it. And yes, what are you talking about? Allowing Christ Jesus, the Messiah, to have full control, full reign over your life. No, no, we want it my way. We want to do it how we want to do it. We, we, we want to carry our own, our, our own way forward. That jeopardizes who we are as people of faith. That jeopardizes what he's called us to be. See, when we come to the stable, when we come to the, 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 the crib, when we come to the manger, we come to this baby Jesus, we celebrate all that he's done. But we have to remember why he did it. Because we were in sin and needed a savior. We could not save ourselves. And this morning we can walk out of here, well, that was a good message. Yeah, okay. Thank you for the suit. Thank you for the message. I'm going to go home and eat my, my, Thanksgiving, my Thanksgiving, my Christmas dinner and have fun with all the family and forgets the salvific purpose of Christmas. That's indifference to the promise of the Messiah. When God looked on us with pity and said, they they can't get out of it. They can't. So it brings us to a heart response. And that's a response of worship because worship is the priority of the faithful. Worship has to be our priority. Because on the very threshold of the gospel story is the first instance of the lesson taught over and over again. Namely, that it worsh- wor- the worthlessness of our head knowledge and the constitu- constant temptation to substitute it for something else. We've got to come to this Christ to worship. Who do you seek? Do you seek a baby? Do you seek a, a giver or do you seek a savior? Do you seek someone that can pacify your life or do you seek someone that will rescue you from the pits of hell? Do you seek someone who is nice to keep to the side and say, you know what, I can learn a few things about this Jesus and pull him out when it's convenient? Or do I find somebody, have I given my life to this Christ who demands my very all and that everything I do, whether word or deed, is to glorify him and him alone, whether it's in what I give or what I receive and how I go about as I go with family, as I go with friends, as I go to work, as I go to school. I know we're out of school right now. But wherever it is we go that we seek, you know what, this Christ, is to be worshipped. When I was a child, my grandmother, my mom's mom, we always spent Christmas at my granny's house. 
she would always, Christmas morning. Now, I would wake up at like three o'clock in the morning, go see what presents I had, and then go back to bed. You know, I, I, I you know, spoil the fun for everybody. My kids aren't in here, okay, good. Uh, I don't want them getting any ideas, because don't let them do that. <laughs> but my granny would always be up by about 7, 6.30, 7 o'clock on Christmas morning. And I can remember so many times, see, see granny had, had a chair. It was her spot. Nobody sat in granny's chair except for granny. Um, and, and this was from the time she was like 60 all the way up to she passed away when she was 97 years old. That was her chair, and you didn't sit in granny's chair. The Christmas morning, she would always be sitting in her chair, usually by 6, 37 o'clock, because she would ask us every Christmas morning, as we're walking through on our way to the living room where all the Christmas presents would be, she would always ask us, did you thank God for the gift that he gave? Before you go in there and unwrap all of this stuff, have you thanked God? See, that is the priority of worship in our life, that in everything, no matter what's going on, we stop and we thank God for the gift that he gave. Who do you seek this morning? Seek Christ, the beauty of the Savior, the baby that was born, the one worthy of worship.